The reading is taken from Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. That's Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. And you can find that on page 1025 of your Bibles. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Io. Uh, as Jonathan said, my name's Jan, Jan Pringle, and I'm on the staff team here. I'm going to be talking this morning about what we can learn from Mary and Joseph. Uh, but first, let's pray, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for Mary and Joseph and for what you did through them to bring your son to be the light of the world. And we pray that you will speak to each one of us this morning through their example about how we too can be lights in your world for you. Amen. Do you remember when you were at school, register time? Now, I don't know if you did it like this, sitting on a carpet, or if you were sitting uh, at a desk in rows. Um, but... Uh, when I was teaching a few years ago, the day always used to start with register time, calling the list of names. And I'd always find that when I did that as a teacher, as we got towards the end of that list of names, a sort of hush would fall over the, uh, over the classroom. And I would look up and I would see a class full of children sitting up really smartly, looking as if butter wouldn't melt in their mouths. 
And the reason for that was that they knew that very shortly I would be choosing one of them for the very important job of taking the register to the school office. Children love to be chosen. They love to be singled out to do a job. And I think as adults, we probably still quite like to be chosen. Think about how it feels when you've got the success, maybe, of getting a new job or being asked to take on a position of responsibility. It's really nice to be thought well of and to be singled out. And there's a sense, of course, in which we as Christians are all chosen. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're all chosen to be that royal priesthood. But there's also a sense in which we're each individually chosen for what God wants us to do for him. I've got the privilege of being part of the discernment team for Coventry Diocese. And that means I meet with people who are exploring a possible call to ordination in the Church of England. And it is a real privilege and very humbling often to have people share their stories with me. Uh, And we work out together, we try and work out together what it is that God's calling them to do. And sometimes that might be some sort of position within the church. Uh, Sometimes it transpires that God's calling them to do something very different. But being part of the discernment team has involved working with people from lots of different backgrounds and lots of different traditions within the church. But they all have their own stories of how God has been speaking to them. They're all trying to work out what it is that they're chosen to do. Now, in our reading just now, Mary discovered that she'd been chosen by God for a very important task, to be the mother of the Son of God. And that might have been the most important and responsible job that any human has ever been chosen to do. She may well have been quite young at the time. She was certainly not highly educated or wealthy. She was very ordinary. Later, Matthew's Gospel tells us that Joseph was also visited by an angel. And Joseph, too, had a part to play in bringing up God's own son, nurturing him, protecting him, teaching him during those childhood years. And God has jobs for all of us to do. The particular roles that he has for me or for you may not be as high profile as those that he had for Mary and Joseph. But whatever we're called to do, it will be important in establishing God's kingdom. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul taught about the body of Christ. We each have our own part to play, a part that will be really important in the church family. A few weeks ago, Jonathan challenged us to renew our commitment to God and spend time thinking about what we are called to do. And if the church is going to function the way it should, it's very important that each one of us does what we're called to do, or the body, the church, won't be healthy. 
Graham and I have just started listening to an audio book by Bill Bryson called The Body, A Guide for Occupants. And it's fascinating how the more that scientists discover about, uh, about body, the more that they realize that each cell, each nerve, each muscle, each bone has a part to play in making the body function healthily. Mary and Joseph's example reminds us that he doesn't always give the most important jobs to the people we might expect. In recent times, a very significant ministry was given to a frail elderly lady. Mother Teresa was a shining light for Christianity in the humble way she carried out her work amongst the very, very poor. She was recognized throughout the world for her dedication, her humility, and what a witness that was. Mary and Joseph came from pretty ordinary families. There was nothing to mark them out as people who should be entrusted with this vital and important task. Later, as Jesus grew up, in fact, those who lived nearby had difficulty in accepting that anyone who came from such an ordinary background could be anything special. And I wonder if we sometimes miss the wonderful ways in which God uses individuals because we're not really expecting to see that. Perhaps we need to be on the lookout for God at work in other people. And I think it's exciting that if we're willing to be obedient, any of us might be given something really extraordinary to do, something that might even change the course of history. And even if the tasks that God calls us to do aren't high profile, they will be important in building his kingdom. And again, I wonder if we really expect that. Are we looking for opportunities that God's giving us for those little whispers from him that are all too easy to ignore? I read a book quite recently called How to Walk into Church. It's a, quite a short book, and it was recommended to me uh, by one of our church members. And one of the things that really struck me in that was the suggestion that when we walk into church, we should be praying uh, praying about maybe where we sit in church, who we should sit next to, who we should talk to, what we might need to say to them. Going in with the attitude of wanting to serve our church community in whatever way God is directing us. And of course, God might be prompting us every day, not just on Sunday in church, but during the week. Are we really expecting that? Now, doing the jobs that God calls us to do won't always be easy. Mary would have faced huge problems. She was probably, as I've said, quite young. She was already betrothed to Joseph. Now, betrothal in those days was much more binding than, say, an engagement today. There was actually a kind of divorce that was needed um, to bring it to an end. And according to Matthew's gospel, Joseph did consider doing that, having that sort of divorce to bring the betrothal to an end um, before he realized that he had his own part to play in God's given task. And without Joseph's support, the consequences for Mary would have been very, very serious. 
The penalties for adultery, which that would have been considered, included being stoned to death. But Mary was obedient. She was willing to do the job that God had called her to do, even though it involved big sacrifices. And Joseph, too, was obedient, risking the things that people might say and suddenly having the responsibility of bringing up a child who wasn't his own. God might ask us to do difficult things. If we can get into the habit of listening to his promptings and being obedient when we feel he's asking us to do something, however small and insignificant that might be, that might make it easier when he asks us to do something difficult. Learning to be obedient in the small things builds us up so we're more able to be obedient in the bigger things. Looking into the future, what lay ahead for Mary and Joseph? Yes, they would have the satisfaction of knowing they were doing God's will. The joy of bringing bringing up a child and seeing him grow into a fine young man. But also the constant knowledge that God had plans for this son of theirs. And that those might involve considerable sacrifice. And of course, one day, Mary would have the agony of watching her son die a cruel and lingering death. Joseph isn't mentioned in the crucifixion, or in fact at all, after the account of Jesus visiting the temple when he was 12 years old. So most theologians assume that Joseph died before uh, Jesus began his public ministry. He isn't mentioned in the uh, story of um, the of Jesus turning the water into wine at Cana, for instance. But God was asking both Mary and Joseph to set out on a journey that would be difficult and costly. And today, too, following God and being involved in his call may still involve sacrifice. In some countries, of course, it's still dangerous to have any sort of Christian ministry. Even in our own country, working for God can involve sacrifice. My husband Graham and I both work for the church in different ways. Graham works for Coventry Diocese, I work for St. Paul's here. And we're very fortunate in having jobs that pay a proper salary and pensions and all that sort of thing. Many Christian ministers rely completely on the goodwill of others to feed and clothe themselves and their families. And that's a real test of faith and commitment. Last week, many of you will have heard Alex Sampson, one of our teenagers, who is setting out soon on a short-term mission trip, working with Jackie Pullinger's organisation with drug addicts in Hong Kong. Alex is stepping out in faith, relying on God to supply the funds that he needs for that trip. And our mission partners, some of whom are pictured here, rely on the support of others to be able to continue their ministry and often have very little long-term security. They're really living by faith. Some friends of mine were called many years ago to minister in Iraq and they were there with their two teenage children during the build-up to the war there. They came back to England for a while but they've recently moved back. Another couple who were friends of mine at university 
felt called to go and live and work in Israel, where they were unable for many years to get permanent visas. Uh, and that meant they struggled to find work to support themselves and their three children. Closer to home, there are clergy working in some of the more deprived parts of our own diocese who suffer repeated break-ins and vandalism to their homes and churches. And of course, it's not just people in full-time Christian ministry who make sacrifices. For many of us, that might mean juggling the demands of a home, a family, church, and work commitments so we can give time to what we feel God is calling us to do. For others, it might mean standing up as a Christian among skeptical friends, family, neighbors, colleagues at work. Even within churches, we're sometimes not very good at supporting one another in the work that we do so that people can end up feeling overworked and underappreciated. But we can be encouraged by Mary and Joseph's example of obedience and submission. In spite of the problems facing her, Mary would go on to sing a song of praise to God, the Magnificat, which we still say today sometimes, and we sing a version of it, Tell Out My Soul. And we're, in fact, we're going to sing that at the end of our service. Tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord. Unnumbered blessings give my spirit voice. Tender to me the promise of his word. In God, my saviour, shall my heart rejoice. And you can read the NIV's version of that in Luke chapter 1. It comes uh, just a little bit after the reading we had this morning. And because of Mary and Joseph's obedience, their willingness to do the job that God had given them to do, so much was accomplished. Their son was going to change the course of history and open the way back to God for each one of us. This week, we elected a new government. Some of us might be very pleased by the result of the election. Other, others of us might be quite sad. I suspect there were quite a few of us who weren't really sure which way to vote with so many issues to consider. Well, whether we're happy with the way things have worked out or not, we can probably agree that our own country and the world in general is still a long way from the kingdom of God that Jesus spoke about, a place of justice and mercy where prisoners are freed, people receive healing, and the hungry are fed. Now, of course, there's a sense in which God's kingdom won't be fully realized until Jesus returns, something that we're looking forward to in Advent. But in the meantime, we're each called to play our part in establishing the kingdom here and now as much as we can. Whatever our feelings about our new governments or about Brexit, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to play our part? Because none of us really know the full implications there might be when we act in obedience to God. I read recently about Edward Kimball. Uh, in 1885, he was a young Sunday school teacher, this man here. And he felt that God was saying that he should talk to one of his Sunday school students, an 18-year-old, uh, about becoming a Christian. Now, he really didn't want to do that. He was quite a shy man. 
And also, it involved going to speak to this young man uh, where he was working in a shoe factory. And he wasn't at all sure that he'd be welcome in the shoe factory during working hours. But he was obedient, and he went to find this young man at work, and he encouraged him to respond to Christ's love. And he found that this young man was very ready for what he had to say. And he decided then and there that he was going to give his life to Jesus. That young man decided to gather together some of the local youngsters and asked a prominent local church to send out some more Sunday school teachers to tell them about Jesus. And in the end, he managed to gather 1,200 young people to come every week to hear about Jesus. That young man's name was D.L. Moody. You may have heard of him. And he went on to become a great evangelist. He held crusades all over the world. Because that rather nervous young man called Edward Kimball was obedient to God's call, thousands of people ended up knowing about Jesus. So when we feel reluctant to obey God's call because we're afraid of the cost it might involve, it's worth remembering that the job that he has for us might have much greater repercussions than we can ever imagine. This is a quote from Mao Zedong. He said, we think too small, like the frog at the bottom of the well. He thinks the sky is only as big as the top of the well. If he got to the top, he would have an entirely different view. Perhaps Mary and Joseph's example can encourage us to widen our vision and our expectations of what God can do. And perhaps, too, Mary's example can help us to put the ups and downs of our own lives into perspective. It's very easy to become preoccupied with ourselves and our families. The journalist and broadcaster Malcolm Muggeridge once said this, I may, I suppose, regard myself or pass for being a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the inland revenue. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they choose to, may partake of trendy diversion. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heeded for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. Yet, I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million, add them together, and they are nothing, less than nothing, a positive impediment measured against one draught of that living water Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. The media tries to persuade us that Christmas is a time for giving. And in practice, this mainly seems to boil down to giving material things, encouraging us to spend our money. Perhaps this Christmas we can look beyond those material things of life and think about how we can give our time, our talents, our whole lives 
to serving God and doing what he wants us to do. And if we can respond in obedience and submission, as Mary and Joseph did, to what he asks of us, perhaps we too will see him at work beyond our wildest expectations. As the band uh, come back, can we stand to pray? Father, we do thank you for Mary and Joseph and their willingness to submit to your will. Thank you for what you called them to do. And as we spend a few moments now in quiet, Father, we ask you to be speaking to each one of us about what you're calling us to do. Let's just be quiet for a few moments.